0: The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comber, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman grew up in a middle-class family of educators. Even though she was a minority in almost all situations, she felt accepted and supported she was taught to believe to have no limits on what she could achieve. So she went for an Ivy League education and embraced being one of the few Black females in a room. As her life unfolded, she became a C-suite executive of a large corporate company. Today, she is the CEO of her own company, a company dedicated to empowering healthier lives. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Kat Peeler. Hi, Kat. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Annette. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. And we have limited time together, so let's jump right on in. You describe yourself as an ignorant trailblazer. <laughs> Explain what you meant by this and how it has shaped your success journey.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yes, I, uh, it doesn't sound very elegant. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? But it has a punch to it, though. <laughs> it does. I think it's memorable, and it, but it, it actually describes uh, several of the milestones that happened in my life. Uh, The first major one that was part of my ignorant uh, trailblazing was when I decided to um, go to Princeton. I had decided in my Northeast Tennessee public high school um, that I wanted to try to attend one of the best uh, schools, universities that I could. If I would have listened to my guidance counselors, quite honestly, they might have steered me to some schools that were more within our region or certainly within the state of Tennessee. No one was pushing me to make that type of a move to um, a school like Princeton. But uh, a bit out of my ignorance of not really understanding how hard it is to get into those schools, um, I decided that I was going to apply and... um, You know, and I, I, you know, had a lot of uh, heart and confidence thinking, well, you know, I have a shot to be there. I'm going to make this happen. And so I was successful. And when I got there uh, after, I guess, my uh, the end of my the first semester of my sophomore year, we had to declare our major and I decided to go into engineering. I was always strong in math and science. And I didn't really understand uh, the the numbers and the representation that was there in that engineering program. Uh, I didn't understand that only 12 years earlier when I uh, got to Princeton, only 12 years before had they started admitting the first women into that university. And in being in the engineering program, out of about 200 people, there were only seven black women. That were in the engineering program in the year that I was there, so again, that was all kind of based on not really understanding how challenging it might be and how uh, how uh, ultimately a bit isolating it might have been to be one of the few um, African Americans and certainly one of the few African American women that are, were in any of those rooms that I was in, but I in not knowing some of those scary things or that might have been perceived scary at the time, I was able to kind of set my mind on it and and make those decisions and kind of plow forth and and make that progress. And ultimately, I was able to be successful um, often because I didn't always understand uh, fully the uh, challenges that were associated with what I was trying to do. And, and one more quick example of that is I, uh, in New York City, I ended up investing in a brownstone. And so I purchased a brownstone and I converted it to a condominium. And then I um, rented it. And so ultimately I was doing real estate development in New York City. And if I had known how hard that was gonna be, I don't know if I would have so easily jumped into it. But the thing that I've learned about me and my life is that in general, I have the confidence to believe that I can be successful. And I also had the confidence to believe that in any situation, ultimately, I can figure figure it out. I can figure out a way to solve whatever major problems I'm dealing with and and to to figure it out to be able to move forward.
0: I'm going to stay with this engineering a little bit because your undergrad, as you mentioned, was an engineering, which was quite an accomplishment, but you found yourself at times, apologizing for this achievement. So why did you do this? And what advice would you give to other women about apologizing for their accomplishments?
1: It was a big learning for me. I uh, successfully uh, graduated in four years with a degree in engineering from Princeton University. Yet, when I decided that I wanted to move into marketing, And I was applying and interviewing for my first internships, my summer internship between my first and second year of business school and I went to Kellogg. In those interviews, I found myself saying to representatives from these major companies like General Mills or P&G or uh, uh, Microsoft, I mean, all these, I interviewed with many different types of companies. And I would find myself saying in these interviews, well, you know, I'm an engineer, and I know that that's maybe not the ideal background for marketing, but I really believe that I can do marketing and do it well because of X. And and I wasn't having any success. I wasn't getting any offers. I just was not being successful. And after one of those interviews, um, a, a, a gentleman said, I'd like to give you some feedback. And I said, yes. Okay, what's, what's the feedback? And he said to me, don't ever apologize for your background. And, and, and he then went on to say that, you know, engineering is a great background and that you have to be able to learn to leverage your background in order to position you to be um, successful for whatever you want to do in the future. And so when he said that, it was just such an aha for me um, because I had been in, in all of those interviews saying, well, you know, I did this, but, but it's, it's okay that I did that because I believe I can still be successful. And so after I had that interview, um, I really thought about it. And then in my subsequent interviews, I began having success and I uh, ended up doing a market a marketing internship with Clairol uh, in New York City, where I am today. And um, it was really because I began to understand the, the art and the importance of leveraging and learning how to basically position your current experiences and how they can really help you and position you and qualify you to have um, different positions in your future. So that's something that I learned back then. And that is something that I use all the time, uh, because it's ultimately, um, you know, it's part of that journey of a professional life, the types of experiences uh, and assignments that you have and being able to really Uh, understand how that you can be laying the groundwork in order to be successful for different things in your future.
0: Yeah. And I think that's beautifully said. And and I think that's a great reminder for all those listening that instead of downplaying all the wonderful things they've accomplished, think about twisting that around and using those and, and showcasing those as examples of why you are perfect for whatever the next stage is in your career. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So, as a C suite executive at L'Oreal, you learned to use your words, speak the truth. So, what did this look like in your day to day presence as an executive leader?
1: Uh, I was a senior vice president at L'Oreal, and I had um, responsibility. um, I was there for 17 years, so I had many different experiences. But um, in in my latter years, I had responsibility for both U.S. and global-based business. And I also had responsibility for both uh, commercial uh, operational marketing and then also the side of marketing that does new product development. So um, one of the most favored compliments that I ever received um, when I was at L'Oreal was from uh, a very well respected uh, head of sales uh, gentleman, and he told me that I had managerial courage and that was important to me because I always tried to um, speak my truth and to not be afraid to take a position that is um maybe not the most popular position or to uh, challenge a question that might not be um, uh, kind of being explored in a particular way. So for me, this idea of managerial courage and ultimately having a a strong leadership presence is about uh, having a vision and being able to be True to that vision through all of the winds and all of the things that are kind of blowing and swirling around you, and ultimately you know it's not about being inflexible in your thinking or just kind of sticking to one point of view and never kind of changing your mind or evolving your thinking, but it is about being um brave in uh, certain uh higher pressure um you know, high stakes types environments to really try to do the right thing and the right thing based on um, all of the information that you might have in terms of, you know, your market or your consumer or your product or your formulas or whatever um, is kind of at question there, understanding and having a basis uh, and this platform of knowledge, but being uh, unafraid and being brave and being courageous to really try to do the right thing. And so that's something that uh, has always been important to me. And uh, I was really you know, touched when that person pointed that out, because it can sometimes be hard in some very uh, senior, senior environments to exhibit that. And that sometimes some people just try to do whatever they think the person across the room, across the table, you know, really wants them to do versus really trying to fight and champion and do the right thing.
0: During your corporate journey, you did observe that men and women approach business differently. And they particularly address it differently when it comes to asking for help from their networks. So what did you see was the main difference and how did you show up yourself?
1: Well, I have learned um, about asking for help from a network perspective. I have learned the importance of building and asking, uh, having bold requests of your network because that wasn't my tendency to do that. And I think that I've most learned that actually after leaving L'Oreal and now that I am and, um, you know, I've started my own business and I'm working to to build that business. The ability and the willingness and the comfort uh, for me to be able to reach, to make connections to certain business opportunities or to ask for help or information in areas where I don't have that, that's been critical for me. And from a corporate perspective, I wish that I had understood that earlier. I feel like that um, just overall from an importance of networking. um, I was one of those people, uh, you know, at different points in my career, it was at different levels, but kind of more towards that end of the career, I just, you know, had my head down and I was just doing the work and I was just, you know, still performing well and having, uh, you know, being recognized for that. But I learned that in addition to try to um in, in addition to trying to nurture your internal network, it was equally and even more important for me that I was also nurturing my external network, external of my, you know, with my L'Oreal world. And that's something that I didn't do as much and certainly um, have been working against that now in my um in my uh, entrepreneurial journey that's been critical for me but again it's that idea of making bold requests and really just um just being much more aware of the importance of that that's something that I've learned
0: along the way and men don't hesitate to ask bold requests do they no, no
1: they don't and they also just you know just going back to the earlier uh, question too it's this idea of um Really, being able to kind of claim an expertise, which may or may not be there, uh, and and being recognized for potential, which is often how men are um, perceived and and um, kind of awarded. But for women, you know, we think we have to do the job before we should ever get that promotion, or do the job before we should even consider going for something new. And that we want to check all the boxes of all of those requirements associated with that. Whereas other people on the other side of that gender world um, don't always feel like they have to check all those boxes because they believe that based on, um, you know, that that based on what they think they should be able to do and that potential that they should, they are qualified and that they can go for that type of a position. And we as women, we don't always do that. And we have to work against that.
0: And to just stay with this and dig a little bit deeper in my own journey, I have seen that men tend to overestimate their abilities and women tend to underestimate their abilities So, how that shows up in the real world is men will go for positions that they are way underqualified for, and women will ignore positions that they are already well qualified for. Absolutely. I had a a
1: friend of mine who um, is a very accomplished uh, professional and marketing executive. And this person um, was in a situation where uh, the the CMO position opened up and I, I was like, hey, are you going to go for that position? You'd be perfect for that. And she was like, well, I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And I haven't done that. And she could have obso- absolutely have done that role. But I think her hesitancy in thinking that she hadn't done enough of the requirements of that held her back from applying for that whereas um you know that's not going to be the case typically with um you know a man who might be considering that same type of a role and it absolutely holds us back it's like we have to raise our hand we have to kind of acknowledge and say okay maybe we haven't done all this but that doesn't mean that we can't do it you know that we are qualified and that we have life experiences and professional experiences that allow us to be successful. And just like we were talking about, you know, in general, you know, you can figure things out. You don't have to know everything, you know, but but you've been preparing for those types of roles and positions
0: your whole career. So you told me that for success to happen, that perception and reality must align and match. So why is this so important? Ultimately,
1: I think that the alignment makes it uh, easier and it draws on less of your own personal energy. If you have to present uh, a particular persona or, you know, you're you're trying to kind of uh, present a particular way of being to drive a perception, but then your reality is very different from what that is then that's a lot of energy expended that's a lot of kind of um you know a bit of angst and so ultimately it's just a more kind of freeing and peaceful and less stressful and less energy um place to be if you are able to have that alignment if you are able to decide and kind of um work or operate in a particular way that in a way that you want to be operating in. And then you're able to actually exude that type of leadership or managerial presence uh, that's aligned with the actually how you operate. So for me, it's very much of a um, it's just an easier way to be. But it's but it's I think it's certainly Not necessarily easy to make sure that they're aligned and make sure that how you are kind of truly operating is reflected in how you show up and the type of presence that you bring into a particular room or a particular environment. Um, But for me, it's about authenticity and it's about just kind of being true. And that is an easier way uh, for me personally to operate.
0: And, you know, I agree with you 100%. But I think we struggle as women, particularly as driven women, giving ourselves permission to do that.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Because society pushes against us and pushes us into a persona that we think we have to step into. And then it becomes very confusing and exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to give ourselves permission that it is okay to be ourselves.
1: I think that that's true. I would like to believe that more and more there are a broader range of uh, accepted and recognized and uh, effective uh, kind of ways to be and ways to operate. You know, I, I don't believe that I act like a man, you know, in, in, in a business environment, but yet I'm able to be successful. And I think that um, I believe it's so much about being able to engender respect and to have integrity and to keep your authenticity. But you're right though, it it is, it's it's I think it can be harder for women uh because of the expectations, but also because of what we think is required for a certain environment whereas that may or may not be the truth but that is sometimes uh uh, and ultimately a perception that we might have an incorrect perception that we might have um,
0: in our own in our own world yeah and sometimes we swallow that hook line and sinker don't we we just gobble it up and make it part of our world and lie to ourselves all over the place that's very true so my last question for you kind of spins off of what we were just talking about, about you being in the man's world. So because you shared with me that you have at times told women friends to quit being a girl. <laughs> so what do you mean by this? Yes,
1: I, <laughs> I, I, I love saying it. I mean, Of course, girl power and girl boss and all that is great. But when I say quit being a girl, that means that um, and sometimes I have to say to myself, What that means is that this person or I am exhibiting some of the behaviors that women can generally exhibit that hold us back and that make us less competitive versus men. For example, not making bold requests in our network is being a girl, not raising your hand to say, I'm gonna go for that job. Okay, maybe I tick off eight of the 10 boxes or seven of the 10 boxes or six of the 10 boxes, but I'm still going to go for it because I know I can do it. And I know I'm qualified and, you know, I know I'll be able to present myself uh, in a competitive way. That's, that's a way to not be a girl. Also, um, the idea that, um, And it's one of the ones that I think is one of the ones that I think is kind of the most uh, important that we do is that we kind of undersell and undervalue the the uh, experience that we have. And so, if I'm observing that type of an uh, thing, I'll say, "Don't be a girl." (laughs) Don't do that. Just you know, it's just this this boldness and this confidence to kind of know that we deserve to be in that room and that we deserve that opportunity and that we deserve um we deserve to be looked at in our potential too, not just based on our accomplishments.
0: Absolutely. Well I love that statement quit being a girl because I can have all <laughs> kinds of spins on that, can it? <laughs> so Kat, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? I
1: think one of the most important things um, is just a belief in yourself. You know, a belief that ultimately um, you can you deserve to be there and that you can really um, have goals and achieve those goals. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about the imposter syndrome lately, and It's so interesting to me because um, women, it's primarily women and it's primarily people of color and that, you know, some of these people can be the most accomplished person that you'd ever want to see. And they say that, oh yeah, I still have the imposter syndrome. And that just really, that just surprises me so much. And I, I am trying to Uh, I find that I have it primarily in newer situations. So, you know, when I was um, first going to uh, Princeton and just kind of getting uh, this public school, you know, public school uh, educated black woman from northeast Tennessee going up into this elite world of, you know, private school privileged people and, you know, wow, you know, am I really supposed to be here? Do I, am I going to get kind of found out, you know? And and I learned over the years that absolutely I deserve to be there. And I also learned that some of those other people that I thought were these private school privileged people, they were that, but at the same time, they they had it too. They felt like, and I learned this at my 25th year reunion at Princeton, which was just super interesting. Talking to a lot of different people, and they had it too. They felt like, "Wow, do I really belong here? Am I supposed to be here? How is it that I'm here?" And so, I think it's important to understand that so many people feel that, and that you just have to get over it. You know, you have to really um, be able to give yourself the the you know pep talk or whatever you need to really <laughs> get over that because it can hold you back.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that is brilliant advice and wisdom to conclude our interview on. Kat, you have been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're busy building your company and you have been such interesting roles having been as a C-suite executive in a corporate company and then bringing that wisdom from that environment and then into your own company. Uh, You've just been a jewel. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And Kat is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds.